Hey, Fellowship family, it's great to be with you this morning. I noticed we have a new dance going on in the parking lot. It's called the flail. Everything kind of turned really slick out there. So be really careful uh, on your way out. Uh, we don't want any lawsuits, okay? <laughs> just kidding. No, we care about you. We just don't want you to get hurt. Hey, we're in the book of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 6. And uh, the series has been entitled Follow, because that's exactly what Jesus came and called us to do, to follow him. And we're learning about who this Jesus is, this guy who came 2,000 years ago, who lived, was crucified, he died, and was placed in a tomb, but he didn't stay dead, did he? He arose from the grave on the third day. And uh, we're, we're introduced kind of 0 to 120 with, with Mark as he's introducing us to Jesus. He's fully human. He's, he's a man who came from a family in Nazareth. He is eating and sleeping and walking and talking and teaching. And yet, not only was he fully human, but he was also fully God. One who spoke to the wind and the waves in the midst of a storm and they obeyed him and calmed. One who spoke to, to uh, evil forces and cast them out of people. One who healed people by his own words and command against sickness and disease. He's God in the flesh. And this Jesus came to establish his kingdom. That's a kingdom word. It's, it's a word that's real popular in the New Testament talking about what Jesus came to do. Came to establish his kingdom. And if you were Jewish in that day, you lived for the kingdom. It was your hope. It was your dream. And you got to be careful what you dream for, right? Because every dream has a hero. And to the Jewish mind, the hero was the Messiah. And this Messiah would, would uh, come. He would be a powerful leader with political and military might. He would have personal righteousness. And he would fulfill all prophecy that the Old Testament had about him. He would conquer evil forces. He would kick Rome out. I mean, they were the big bully of the world at that time. But he would usher in a new kingdom. A new kingdom that they all longed to be a part of. Where God would be at the center. Where Jerusalem would be at the epicenter. And their position would finally be validated. Finally be elevated to the rightful place of ruling and authority that God owed them. And that's what the Jewish leaders thought. That was a dream for the kingdom. Jesus didn't come as expected. Jesus wasn't like this. He was a meek and lowly servant. And he came to preach a kingdom. He came quietly. He, he even reveals, as, as Mark is revealing him, don't tell anyone who I am yet. But he was rejected by these leaders who were dreaming for a different kingdom. I found it's not too much different today than it was back there. We all have a picture of a kingdom. Of life at its best, of life where we're, you know, have the opportunities and the rights we want it to be. And Jesus will mess with that kingdom every time. And it leads to him being rejected by the Jewish audience. And you actually see a hinge in the book of Mark in chapter 6 where he moves from primarily a Jewish audience to open it up to a Gentile audience. Because his heart, Jesus' heart, is for whosoever will believe. And so this Jesus movement and this kingdom he was going to be bringing in was a kingdom from death to life. It was a kingdom from the, that moved away from the insiders and called out and called in the outsiders. It moved from Jewish to include the Gentiles. It, it was, it, even in its physical location of focus, 
It moved away from getting to Jerusalem to worship, and it literally meant going to the ends of the earth. It moved from law to grace, from a religion of rules to a relationship of love, from pride and position in a religion to humility and service. And this Jesus is going to teach us how to do this right now. Because he sends out, in Mark chapter 6, beginning with verse 7, he sends out his disciples to advance his kingdom on earth. Let's read, let's pick it up here in Mark chapter 6, verse 7. Read it along with me. It says, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Let's just pause there because what we're being invited into is the main picture of who Jesus is and what he's all about. And the reality of this passage is if you follow Jesus, he's going to send you to people he loves. That's the main point, right? Jesus sends us to people he loves. You see, even, even the, 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 um, the movement from heaven to earth, Jesus leaves this, this, this heaven Because God so loved the world, he sent his only son to this world. Jesus loves people. And when you follow Jesus, people are going to be in your life. Joe, I don't like people. I'm sorry. Don't follow Jesus. Don't. Because there's going to be people in our lives. We've got to get used to that messy, broken people who look like you and don't look like you believe like you and don't believe like you people who have what you have and don't have what you have. God loves people and you follow him. If you follow him, there's going to be people in your life always, always. And there's values that we need to apply to our lives with ministry to people. And there's four that I want to highlight here because Jesus sends us to reflect these values. They're ministry values that guide us and give us direction. I want to highlight four of them uh, so that you're aware, so that you're available, and that you're open to to reflect these values. Because here's the reality. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're already sent. You don't have to wait for this, this uh, audible voice of God. Go to this person and say these words. No, that's, that's what the scriptures tell us right now. We've already been sent. Many of us don't see it. We don't accept it. Or we're distracted and we ignore it. And the scriptures are very clear. Jesus is sending us into a world who needs him. And so if you're a believer in Jesus, follow him. Follow him and accept his call to be sent. Let's take a look at these four values. First one is this. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I am sent to walk with community. To walk with community. Look at verse 7 real quick. It's the opening one of this passage. It says, he, he began to send them out two by two. 
Boy, we don't see this in too many places in Scripture, but we saw it at Noah's Ark, right? When they came to him two by two. But these are people, right? And Jesus is sending people out. Never, never lone rangers, never superheroes. He's sending them out two by two. Why did he do that? Well, there's some reasons. First is an external reason. And that is the Bible is always substantiated uh, the witness of two people. When you were accused When you were accused in Old Testament of a crime, there had to be a witness of at least two people. So it wasn't just one person against the next. There's something about two that validated a witness. And we're called to be witnesses. When you're speaking it with with someone else, it gives value, it it gives strength, it builds a foundation that that message would be heard. We've seen this also in 1 Timothy when, when Paul writes to Timothy and say, if, if there's an accusation against an elder in a church, make sure you have two witnesses or two accusers there rather than just one because uh, lunatics can say anything they want and be act out on their own. And we can always go, security, get this person away from us. But when there's two people saying the same thing, it gives it a little bit more strength. But there's also an internal reason for this. And that is that Jesus values team. He values, uh, the va- he values us being and working with people, not being lone rangers, isolated in the world. That's the threat in ministry, isn't it? That we would be isolated. Isolation is a huge threat in it. And yet the whole word of the church, the whole word of the church is that we would be people who are the called out ones. That's literally what the Greek word ekklesia means. The ones called out from the world to move into mission with God. And that's the church. That's what we are. You gathering together, joined a team this morning. You may not have realized it. You thought I'm going to church. You just joined a team. And if you're a follower of Jesus in a few minutes, he's going to send you out to do that. And when we gather together. Guess what we do? We align. We align to the mission of what we're here on earth to do. But we do this together, never alone. That means our lives are better because of each other. Joe, I do a lot of things better than myself. I don't trust people. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to get in the way of good ministry. Because I can see one and done kind of ministries where you show up and you do something by yourself. But rarely are they sustained without a team. Major, major Christian missionaries who went all around the world and preached the gospel. When they did it alone and they were isolated and they had sickness and disease, when they had, when they had personal depression going through that and no one was around them to support and encourage, guess what? They just kind of imploded. And guess what was limited? The gospel moving through a life. One life at a time. We limit the gospel when we go at it alone. God has made us for community. We're called to serve in community. So here's our question. Who are you walking with? If Jesus sends us with community, who are you walking with? Because that's a great question as we think about this. Many of us are just doing things on our own. And your only connection to a group of people on a mission for God is showing up here on the weekend. Let's make it deeper. Let's walk with people. People actually have a heart to advance the kingdom of God in their lifetimes, in their generation. Find, a, if it's not this church, find a church that has a mission to reach people and, and uh, can connect you to that mission. We, all, we say it so often here. Everyone in this room is a minister. Every place you go is a ministry. 
So it's not just what's happening inside this room that, that you're sent to. You're sent all, and God is scattering you all around this region to advance the gospel. Do that with community. I am better because I'm accountable to people. I'm more balanced. I'm less deceived about myself. You know, the, the definition of a fool in Proverbs is a fool does what is right in his own eyes. And I have rationalized sin in my life. And you have too. We need someone else to come alongside of us who's on our team, who just doesn't point things out. You know, that's a judge. But, but someone who can come along and help us and call us to something greater in our lives. We need a team. So you need to be connected to a team. Because we're sent with community. Secondly, second value is we're sent to serve with simplicity. Look at the simple values Jesus was calling them to. It's going to shock you, especially in our culture. But let me read them anyway. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. Catch this. No bread, no food, no bag, no money in their belts, no suitcases, no cash. They couldn't even text give. I mean, what in the world? But they were called to wear sandals and one tunic. And I like how the scripture says, not two. I was like, this is this a not packing list. We always build our packing list. Jesus just kind of shreds our packing list here. What was he doing? He wanted them to simplify their lives, even their image, so that it wouldn't be about them. It would be about the kingdom. Even so much to clarify about the simple living arrangements. He said, when you go and, and stay in a place... Don't upgrade. Yeah, because that was what happened. They would get to meet people in the marketplace. The wealthier would go, come stay with me. I have this luxurious place. And they would go from being with the people to just being with the affluent. And Christianity was never meant to just apply to one class. So Jesus kept it simple. Don't upgrade. I love to upgrade. Someone offers, yes. Let me think, yes. I like upgrades. But, you know, my focus on personal comfort, my focus on materialism, little gadgets, the next thing to have, the next thing that gives me pleasure, it's a distraction. That's the threat to being sent. When we're more enamored with all these little distractions than we are the clarity of the gospel. I think about this. Jesus called them no food. They were totally dependent on others' generosity. No money. Whoa. That's, that's just... Well, as I read this, I started thinking, am I really simple? Do, do I live simply? Because that's one of my personal values in my life. I want to live simply so I can give generously in my life. So yesterday, I cleaned out my closet. What else do you do on an ugly day like yesterday? I cleaned out my closet and I realized, my... Goodness, does my closet, first of all, my own closet's larger than some people's homes. Because I remember going to the Philippines and there was an eight by eight home I walked into. Eight by eight. It was bamboo. One man lived in it. And the first thought I had when I walked in is, where does this guy sleep? And that's what I asked him because I'm an American. We ask what's on our minds, right? (laughs) Hey, where do you sleep? And he looked at me like, on the floor, of course. And I looked down, it was a mud floor. And he rolled out a mat every night. And he said, Pastor Joe, 
I lay down on this floor and I look up to heaven and every night I pray for Brett Durbin. Brett Durbin was the director of Trash Mountain, the ministry that was working in his area. And he said, and I will pray for you, Pastor Joe, every night. Every night I go to bed and I think about this man in the Philippines who lays down in a little bamboo hut. His life is so simple. He had two shirts in addition to the clothing he had, one pair of, of of pants and and then some some shoes but he also was wearing flip-flops that's all he had but his life was simple see sometimes we have to get out of our culture to understand what simple is but boy boy how many of us struggle with prayer on a daily basis how many of us are so complicated with drama and emotions and pleasure and comfort and what do we notice when we travel to places like the philippines what do we notice when some of you go and dig a well in, in Honduras or Guatemala? Uh, what do you know? Here's what I hear from you. You come back and you say, I couldn't believe it. These houses were dumps. It's amazing. I mean, corrugated metal on the top and they had mud floors. But these little girls would come out of them in white dresses with a smile from ear to ear. And I had to step back and I had to say to myself, what has to happen in my life? My hair has to look good. My makeup has to be on. I have to be well-dressed. The car needs to run. The temperature outside needs to be good before I smile like that. We've made life complicated. And the gospel calls us to simplify. Because the reality is we can never promote the image of Jesus if we're trying to compete with our own image. And so the question I would have in the midst of distraction is, what do we need to simplify in order to clarify the gospel in our lives? Something needs to give. Decisions need to be made. Because food and clothing and gadgets distract us and get us into debt and preoccupy our minds with the first thought of Jesus. Jesus becomes a burden when my life's all about me. We have to simplify, and that means that we make decisions. Yes, even in America, we make decisions to simplify our lives. The wise simplify to clarify the gospel. Value number three we're sent to speak with authority. Look at what it says again in verse 7, the introductory verse to this. It says, he not only sent them out two by two, but he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And then look at verse 11. And if at any place will not receive you, he says, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet. And look at what they proclaimed. Look, verse 12. They went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. Ministries about Jesus, right? And when you are sent, you're sent with a message. You're sent with a message that's to be proclaimed with words and with works. That's where the gospel thrives is when both of those are very clear and very intentional. But there's a, there's a, a threat to proclaiming the words of Jesus. And that's called hesitation in us. It's a hesitation. It's easy to serve people, but it's really hard to speak to people. But both must be real and present in ministry. And I suppose this hesitation stems from a personal fear of rejection. 
And it prevents that full proclamation of the gospel where you're talking about the words of Jesus and calling people to respond to that while you're also loving them and serving them and listening to them. Because I've known in ministry, it's a tension. Because we're involved in doing good things for people. And, and I, I care about people because Jesus cares about people. And that's led us to move outside of these walls into neighborhoods of poverty here in Topeka. It's, it's led us to places around the world where people are hurting and need help. And we can do that because God has given us the resources to do it. But it doesn't just stop with good works. It continues with the words of Jesus. Of calling people to a person and a power that only Jesus can give. And so with this, I just want to ask the question, what's your spoken conviction on the gospel? What do you say about the gospel? We have people who help us in ministry around the city, even who are part of this church, who have yet not yet made up their mind on Jesus. It's easy to serve, but do you know why you serve? Because we can meet needs, but physical needs are incomplete if we don't also share the only one who can meet spiritual needs, and that's Jesus. And so I think about the simple conviction that we're all called to of understanding our greatest need. And our greatest need is not more money. It's not more food. It's not another job. Our greatest need is forgiveness. Because we all stand accountable to God. And we all have a problem. None of us can be perfect. You can be better than the person sitting next to you, but you can't be better than Jesus. He's your standard. He's who you're compared to. The problem is you can't save yourself. Modern religions and ancient religions have all sought to equip humanity to make themselves look better when comparing to other people and propping them up when it came to their God. The gospel of Jesus Christ says you can't save yourself. None of us can. So our greatest need has a problem if we don't have Jesus. Jesus came to do something for us we can't do for ourselves. He lived a perfect life, a life you and I can't live. He lived perfectly. He died a death to satisfy a debt you have and I have that we can't repay. Only Jesus could pay that price with his life. And he rose from the the grave to secure for us eternal life through belief in him, but also to defeat the power of sin and death in our lives. And so it all requires when we have the greatest need to also see our greatest gift. That's Jesus. That's who he presented himself. It was very clear. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And so no one comes to the father except through him. And so it requires a transfer of trust in all of us where we receive his work for us, where we by faith go, I'm going to stop trying to be good and start trusting in Jesus to forgive me. I'm going to stop doing good things to impress God and others. And I'm going to trust in the only one who fully has done everything I need. You don't deserve it. Neither do I. We're not here because we're better than anyone else. We're here because we all need Jesus. And we trust in him. That transfer of trust needs to be offered with the authority of God. It's kind of a a staunch picture of what it's like when that message is rejected, right? Just it's kind of like go where people are open and will listen. But where people reject you, just shake it off and move on. By the way, that's where they got the lyrics to that song. 
Um, no, we're, we're called to do that. No, it, it's not, okay? I'm just seeing if you're awake this morning. Move on. Don't get wrapped up. Don't pray, pray an impeccatory prayer against a city or a person. Move on. Because the gospel, there's so much low-hanging fruit if you're open. The people being open to the gospel. Move on and advance the gospel. And then the final thing is that as a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm sent to suffer. Suffer with integrity. Because verses 14 to 29 unveil a picture and, and the picture is of Herod Antipas waking up in the middle of the night going, John's back and he's going to get me. Okay, that's my paraphrase. But what it really means is John the Baptist confronted Herod Antipas. And Herod took his brother's wife as his own. Sexual immorality, adultery. And John the Baptist called him out for that. In all my years of ministry... If you want to battle with someone, if you want to be called names, if you want to be on a death threat, call someone out for sexual immorality. (laughs) That's my number one thing. I call someone away from a lifestyle that's not godly. Oh, Hishma hates me. I'm out to get them. They don't love people. Anytime I confront anyone on sleeping before they get married, homosexuality, all that kind of adultery, lust, man, those are fighting words for people. John the Baptist had the guts to call out Herod Antipas. And what happened there is Herod's wife, Herodias, don't ever name your child Herodias, by the way. (laughs) Never, don't do it, here's why. She wanted to kill John the Baptist. She wanted him destroyed. Herod feared John the Baptist because he had a pretty good audience of people and he didn't want insurrection. So he kind of had a love-hate relationship. It's almost like he was entertained by the message of this, this straightforward, gutsy preacher in the wilderness named John the Baptist. So Herodias takes her daughter as a tool and puts her daughter to do this erotic dance in front of Herod Antipas. And she does it so that a guy just carnally driven who has a lot of money and authority was like, what do you want, man? That was so awesome. Whatever you want, you can have up to half my kingdom. And she goes, and Herodias kind of coached her daughter to go, make sure you get the head of John the Baptist on a platter. That's what you ask him. And that's what she said. I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And Herod went, whoa. But since he said that in front of all his advisors, he had to follow through on it. He sent his executioner, who decapitated John the Baptist, put his head on a platter and served it to Herodias. In our world, we go, wow, man, the guy died because of a villainous, murderous, El Guapo kind of Herodias. That's from the Three Amigos, by the way. But, but it, we think they won, but did they? No, Herod was haunted by that. So Jesus sends out these 12 and they go around and the gospel starts coming out and people are called to repentance. Repentance. Where did I hear repentance before? My goodness, what's happening in my kingdom? Oh, repent. John the Baptist is alive. Doggone it. God is going to get me. He feared it. He had influence beyond his death because he was willing to suffer with integrity. That's what we're called to. When John sees Jesus for the first time in John chapter 3, this is what he says. He said, this joy is mine. Uh, It's now complete. And he says this with his life. He must increase, but I must decrease. 
That's what following Jesus is all about. Uh, in, in future weeks, we're going to hear he's going to call us to die to ourselves in order to live to him. And we're called here. He must increase. Jesus isn't going to become greater in your life until you step down from your little platform. And here's the deal. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of suffering that takes place in my own life that I've feared about. Oh, I'll lose my personality. I'll lose my position. I'll lose my influence. And yes, when I step down, I make a decision to do that. But guess what? The exact opposite has happened. I've been, I feel part of such a greater power in my life than my own self when I'm stepping down to glorify Jesus. I see a much greater vision for this world than my little pipe dream. When I'm connected to a purpose of advancing the gospel through my life where Jesus wins, where Jesus is greater. Because the threat with the gospel is the world wants it destroyed. The world doesn't want a God who tells us what to do. The world wants to live its life the way it wants to. The world doesn't want religious restraints or organized religion. They don't want one person that everyone's accountable to. But what have we learned about the cultures that have eradicated God out of them and have sought to purify humanity with the absence of God and has persecuted those who disagreed. Well, we see what we see in China today. We see the gospel thriving because some were willing to suffer with integrity for it. What do you see it in your own life when the force you once opposed is gaining power and is fulfilling and satisfying and deepening every aspect of your life? Yeah. There's times... When we will suffer for the gospel. But here's the question I would simply ask. What are we willing to seek less of for ourselves? In order to give more of Christ to others. Do you remember 10 years ago around this time of the year? 10 years ago that tsunami hit portions of Indonesia and and India and uh, Sri Lanka. Do you remember that? I remember seeing those pictures. cataclysmic damage and destruction from a tsunami. I didn't even know him at the time. But there was a pastor in Chennai, India that I met two years ago. His name is Pastor Augustine Asir. And he worked out of Chennai and he was advancing the gospel in all different um, uh, uh, states of, of India. And this is what he writes. He goes, he wrote this to me yesterday. He said, Dear Pastor Joe, when the tsunami struck the coast of Pondicherry, our neighboring state, and caused enormous damage damage 10 years ago, many national and international Christian agencies were involved in relief and rehabilitation work. We had a small part in this great task. All of the agencies left after one year, but we stayed on. And we preached the gospel in coastal fishermen villages, which were strongly, which strongly opposed the gospel once. As a result, many fishermen became believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord called our three fishermen families to join Word for the World. That's his organization. Today, we have 21 missionaries preaching the gospel in 48 coastal villages. Eight worship groups have been formed. And every month we preach the gospel to over 3,000 people. 
When I visited there two years ago, I saw one of those communities. And it was just a small church, about 150 uh, Indian people who came to it and worshipped. And they had a pastor. We support four a month. I'm sorry, six pastors a month over there for just $300 a month. We support a pastor and his family and he advances the gospel in places and under conditions very few of us could go and sustain. We're going to be building with, with 10% of the resources for our new expansion. We're going to be building over 12 churches just like this one. As we build our own church here, we're going to be building it for them there. But here's the deal. They had to step down to go and be with people who are suffering. And they kept the gospel intact as they loved people. And the reality is the gospel's thriving. The gospel's thriving in those places. And the same is true in our, in our lives. Any area, some of you who sacrificed and suffered financially to help us build this new building here, any area you do that, it's true in my life. Any, I've always got more of God and I've always been able to reach more people. Every time we step down, guess who becomes greater? Jesus does. We can trust him. We can trust him. Okay, what do we do with this? These are the four values that Jesus sent out. And they're the four values that continue to be sent, that we continue to be sent out with. But thing is, is I've been in a church my whole life. And the church has a systemic issue of people staying when God says, go. It's the exact opposite of what we teach a dog. (laughs) We teach dogs to stay. Jesus teaches us to go. We like the comfort of these chairs. We don't like the confusion of this world. But we're still called to go. And I've been around for a long time in the church and I've had a lot of excuses for God over my life. And I've heard a lot of excuses as a pastor. Oh, Joe, it's just not my wiring. I'm just not wired for people. (laughs) None of us are wired for people. We're hardwired for ourselves. And when we look in our mirrors every morning, we think about ourselves, what makes us happy. That's our natural wiring. We need Jesus to re- recircuit us. Yeah, it's all not our wiring. We need him to transform us. Joe, that's not my preference. That's why we pay you to preach to us. Yeah, God's vision is far greater than the four walls of this church in this room. Joe, I just, to be honest, I like pleasure. And I like places and experiences where I just have pleasure. And if I follow Jesus, I don't know. That's going to be hard. That's going to be difficult. Thank you for being honest. Yes, it will be. It will be. Joe, I have a trouble with authority. And when he calls us to work with a team, I just don't do well with authority. Uh, Again, none of us do well with authority. But we're all better because of it. And we all have to humble ourselves and grow up. And be wise and allow God to work with a team, even a broken, messed up team called the church. Joe, it's not going to be comfortable and it's not going to be safe. Didn't we learn this last week? With Jesus in a boat, in a storm, safest place in the world. Nothing compares with Jesus outside of that boat, alone 
isolated in this world. So the results are the same with all these excuses. We're staying put when God is calling and sending us to people he loves. Excuses are rationale and the reasons we put up there. And they all are normal and they all can pass the test of our own minds. But when it comes to the kingdom of God being online and advancing to, to whosoever will believe, I'm sorry, our excuses just are not relevant anymore. They aren't. Jesus has already sent us. In a few minutes, you're going to be sent. So with the threat of isolation, you're not alone. Your church family today is accepting the call to walk in community and to walk with each other who desire to advance the kingdom of God in our generation. We want to do that. We believe God has placed us in this place to make a difference and advance the kingdom of God. In a sea of distraction, church, keep your focus. Above all the lure of materialism that defines you and gives you a false hope of significance or success or security, serve with simplicity. Be undistracted in your eyes on Christ and the image of following him. Amidst the fear of rejection and hesitation, be willing to speak up. Share the gospel when God opens the door. Speak with authority. Speak with kindness. Speak with sincerity of heart and respectfulness and and humility. But speak the truth in love. And speak about Jesus often without hesitation. And with forces out to destroy the gospel Well, just be willing to suffer for it. Be willing to stand when others fall. Become less so that Christ can become more. Some of you will suffer. Others of you will willingly sacrifice something about you so that Christ can become more in your marriage, in your relationships, in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. Get over yourself and the fears you have that simply, when it all stacks up, cannot compare to the glory of of eternal life with Jesus Christ. Let's answer this call to go. We have a God who is sending. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for your call to send us. We offer up our lives right now. We turn away from the excuses we have placed up. And we thank you for opening our eyes and our ears to hear your call to live in these values. And now, Father, as we worship you and we sing a song that, that gives us the words of, of that we will go and, and, and we will answer your call to, to send us, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just proclaim it with our lips. We would, this would be a declaration of our faith and our action to advance Jesus through all means, with our lives. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.